Letting go of the current paradigm. What? Welcome to the Joyous Expansion Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Dupree, scouring the globe to bring you stories of courage, passion, and resilience. If I could sum up this podcast into one word, I would use empathy. Now let's get inspired. Welcome to the Joyous Expansion Podcast. I am your host, Brett Dupree. I almost forgot what podcast I'm doing, as I'm also doing the Church of Awesome Podcast, and I almost said the Church of Awesome Podcast, but that's what I did this morning. Yes, this is a Sunday, so it's a little special, mostly because that means it's been less than a week since I recorded this part of my last podcast. I, a lot of times, I do it Wednesday after work, and this is now Sunday to get started early. Pop, pop. Yes, I am your host, Brett Dupree, your life coach of joyous expansion. Wow, brain working at full potential today. Today, I have a fun interview with Harry Sherwood, who gives a lot of awesome, deep insights that I'm sure you're going to enjoy. But right now is not the interview part. Right now is the part where I get vulnerable about my life. Because if I, how can I ask my guests to be vulnerable if I'm not vulnerable myself? This week has been interesting for me as I have been stepping up in a different capacity in Toastmasters leadership and thinking a lot about time and how I use my time, mostly because I have a friend of mine asking me to step up into one of her endeavors, and I've been very hesitant to do so. In fact, in an hour, I'm on a call with them. It's actually a pretty cool, pretty cool idea of providing helpful services to those in need and it is aligned with the joyous expansion way and it's a leadership position but the problem i have is how much energy do i have to give it how much energy do i actually have and that's what i've been thinking about lately and that's been one of my hesitancy even though there shouldn't be hesitancy because one of the reasons why i'm stepping up in a toastmaster capacity in a leadership role is to gain that experience. I'm going to do something in a leaderly way that I have not done before. And that gives me leadership experience. Yes. It's not one-to-one with the managerial experience, but it's more leadership experience than I had before. And this is stepping up into a leadership position of being a board on a nonprofit, which in my mind, I don't know. For some reason, I'm hesitant to do it because there's something about me that thinks I'm not qualified. And there are things in my life, for instance, getting this podcast to be more popular, actually doing something with it, doing my other podcast, the Church of Awesome podcast, and building the Church of Awesome community that I've been hesitating on working on creating. I'm doing a five-day challenge starting tomorrow on building a Facebook group, which we'll see how that works. My guess is I I won't do any of that challenge because that's just been my MO in the past of getting excited about something or maybe I'll just do two days and get behind and not do anything. I'm sure it's going to be something along the lines of five days and now we get started, pay $9.99 or $97 for my mastermind group, which is probably not a bad idea of marketing. That's funny how marketing is. So that got me thinking a lot about my commitment, my desire, and what I do. Especially since when I think of my other goal, which is weight loss. I hit a weight loss goal last week, and of course I spent the last four days eating all the food I can because I'm starting again on Monday. But why did I eat all the food I can? Why did I do that? Why do I keep on falling into the same traps over and over and over again? That's the, I mean, that's what I talk about with my therapist or why I want to talk to my therapist is I'm done going through the traps. I don't want to fall into them, but I also don't want to do EFT or any other thing like that or meditate on a constant basis. I have this feeling in the back of my head, this feels overwhelmed. There's like time or something. I don't really know. It's interesting 
knowing the tools and having the tools, but not using them. It's almost, I mean, isn't that what self-sabotage is? Is having all the tools ready for you, knowing that you have the support out there and then not doing it, not taking it up. Of course, there is my ask for help thing that I'm also working through. But thinking about it, especially with this interview I had, once in a while I get interviews that really stick with me. I mean, every each interview that I have is something that is amazing. A person sharing themselves to me and spending their time with me. And yes, this podcast is not that popular. I have three to four active listeners. And then generally speaking, based off other people, it's eight. It's generally... My lower end has four or five downloads and my upper end have 20 something. So I average around 10 downloads a podcast. Podbean has seven people have listened to something. So this is not exactly a popular podcast. The fact that I get guests to come on here amazes me, especially people I don't know. And I tell them, I'm honest. If someone asks me how many listens, I say I get around 10 listens an episode. I'm, I'm honest. That's, what I, that's where I am right now in episode 33. Angel number, true friendship is a sound health. The value of it is seldom known until it's lost. Huh, isn't that a fun angel number? There are times where I don't want to keep on doing this. And to make myself happy, I just go to my Facebook and unfriend some people. And that does, for some reason, makes me feel good. I have over a thousand friends. I don't need a thousand friends. Why do I have so many? And just letting people go feels good every once in a while. It's like you're not. I have a thousand friends and three listens. I mean, seriously. Are you really supporting me? Do you really like me if you're not willing to listen to my podcast? I mean, you can listen to it while cleaning. It's a podcast. Sheesh, friends. <laughs> but seriously, though, thinking about commitment and what that means. What am I willing to give up? What am I willing to do in my life to be successful? Am I willing to go the extra mile? In my life, I haven't been. I haven't been. And that's just looking at it in an objective way. I mean, why lie to myself? Why lie? I get excited, I get started, and then I stop. I mean, the fact that this podcast is on its 33rd, and it's about the year anniversary of when I got started. I think I started on July 4th or 3rd, which is super cool. But in the year, my hope at this time would be uh, 55, because I released three at once at first. So 52, about 54. This should have been episode 54. And this is episode 33. So I'm roughly, what, 21 episodes behind if you go by math? That means I've missed 21 weeks, which is, well, I should say I missed probably about 17 weeks because missing a couple for holidays isn't a bad idea. But at the same time, there's still 17 weeks where I didn't go. But I did pick myself up again, which is important, which was the Church of Awesome sermon that I did this morning was being resilient. And honestly, that's something I'm really proud of in this podcast is how I picked myself back up again during the winter months i went to one of my little ah shoot downtimes is the best way to put it i mean i was great with the light of light workers i was fine with my girlfriend however when it came to my podcast i was feeling overwhelmed when it came to dealing with molly george and the district leadership it being my prm i felt overwhelmed i felt not heard i just felt bad i just didn't feel like i was being supported and i let that get to me and I spent a lot of time that I could have been working on something awesome, watching I don't, Netflix or just YouTube videos instead of trying to reach my full potential. And that's not to say that I shouldn't do that, but it's also to say that I could have done better. 
And the thing that I could have done better with is this podcast. And so when the new year came along, I said, all right, we're going to do this podcast. I'm going to focus on what matters to me and get it done. And I am proud of that. I think I've talked about this before, but I'll talk about this again because I I don't plan this out. I just talk about what's on my heart and what's on my mind. And what's on my mind in doing this right now is that reframe that I started having because before being editing was time consuming and I felt wasteful. And by the time I was done, I'd feel drained. And honestly, that was all in my mind. It was all in my mind. And now when I edit, I think to myself on how I am serving my interviewee, how I'm making them sound better, how I'm making my podcast sound better. And even if only four to 10 to 20 people listen to my podcast, I want them to listen to the best freaking podcast possible. I want them to listen to my vision. And my vision is I sound the best that I can. My interviewee sounds the best that they can. I serve them. I take out the ums, the ahs, the so, the it's, 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 it's. I take that out. I take out the breathing because honestly, I don't want to hear breathing. Maybe that's the weird thing about me, but I'd rather just hear the person talk. And I do that. And I feel proud to do that. And when I do it that way, yeah, it takes like two hours to do, but it feels good. Plus, I also started taking breaks before I would try to interview and then try to push through. Now, when I feel that feeling of, oh, I don't want to do this, I take a break. I watch some YouTube for 15 minutes or do something else for 15, 20 minutes. And then I like, all right. I get back at it. And so I'm getting better at doing it earlier, finishing it on a Sunday instead of pushing it to Wednesday and trying to push it, come home, eat, finish the thing I watched as I started to eat. Then all of a sudden it's eight, then I'm editing and then I'm recording this part, then editing this part, then I'm recording the other parts that I'm putting them together and then I'm uploading them and then I'm just writing everything and I'm creating all the infographics that I use. And that feels overwhelming to do it all on a Wednesday evening and my Wednesday evening's gone. If I do this on Sunday, when I have all this extra time for not working, then honestly, I'd be done with this part. And this first part, I talk for like 12 to 15 minutes and then I edit that and that takes like half hour to an hour. And so, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I think that is the 12 minute mark. And so let's get started with the interview. I am very excited about Harry Sherwood. It was a good interview. Let me set this up for you. Harry Sherwood's dedication to following his heart led him to travel the world. Over the last decade, he's lived with and learned from monks, yogis, martial artists, masters, professors, and psychologists. Henry practiced thousands of hours of meditation and received a religious studies degree from the University of Michigan. He studied Tai Chi, Qigong, Kira Yoga, meditation, mindfulness, and psychology. Harry also took part in shamanic ceremonies, tribal ceremonies, plant medicine ceremonies, and funeral ceremonies ranging from China to Ghana to Indonesia to California. The accumulation of these experiences led Harry to found Consciously.org, where he and Melanie McDaniel guide people into fulfillment, transformation, and expanded awareness in mind, body, and spirit. Harry is currently working for his Doctor of Metaphysical Counseling degree at the University of Sedona. So here is my interview with Harry Sherwood. Hello, Harry, and welcome to my podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. Looking over your bio, you seem to live an exciting life. Can you give people a brief description of who you are? Yeah, sure. My name is Harry Sherwood, and I am the co-founder of Consciously.org, where we bring people into transformation, expanded awareness, and specifically in the health arena, whether that's physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual. My partner and I have both gone through our own challenges, ups, downs, lefts, and rights in life, and now we bring other people into that same conversation to help them through the same thing. 
That's cool. One thing I've noticed about us people who serve, we generally have an origin story, something that spurred us to want to change our lives and do things. How did your life start out? That's a good question. So, you know, the early years, there wasn't a lot of turbulence, so to say. I grew up in Southern California, had two older brothers, mom and dad. There were, you know, there were some bumps and certain things along the way. Parents got divorced. My oldest brother is an addict known as a chronic relapser. He's been in and out of rehabs for about 15 to 20 years now. There was some struggles there. But honestly, the main struggle came for me within Western society specifically, it just there was a mentality and a programming, a perspective in the culture and society that I just didn't seem to fit into. There was a mold that I that just wasn't fitting for me. And so I felt suffocated in my life by the time I hit 18. And I just I needed something else. I need something different. And so I wound up going on my own quest, my own spiritual quest in life, which has been absolutely phenomenal and has been very powerful, scary at times, a lot of fear, a lot of overcoming, but it, it led me on a really profound journey that has transformed who I am today. What did you find about Western civilization that was so suffocating? You know, that's a good question. I would say that there's a right way to be and a wrong way to be. There's what's punished and what's rewarded. There's there's just a very, especially in a scientific perspective, there's a very much, if you cannot measure it, it does not exist. So there's there's it's a box and most cultures are. It's just a box I didn't fit into. I was interested in kind of what lied beyond our five senses. I was interested in spirituality and what that could teach me. I was interested in just something different, something different. I I, I, think I grew up in it and it kind of, I just felt uneasy. And so that suffocation turned to anxiety, turned to feeling like I was trapped. And so I wound up moving to China. It was the first stop and just I needed to get out. I needed to, to get out somewhere else. And that it, it helped. But it helped me realize that most things that I was experiencing was internal and not necessarily external. I think there was a few different things, but just the general programming of people I was around, the mentality was just tough for me. So were the internal struggles that you were dealing with at the time? A few of them were... My brother being the addict, there was a part of me that was taking on responsibility. I'm four years his younger brother. There's just a part of it that I had to learn at a very early age that wasn't on me. Everyone makes their own decisions. Everyone walks their own path. And I was taking on, well, you know, who am I as a person if I can't help? Who am I as a person if I'm not enough for him to want to stop? And so that was something that was going on in the background. My dad was a workaholic, wasn't really around much. So I, I kind of glued myself to my friend group. And then you have kids teaching kids. And that's kind of the blind leading the blind monkey see monkey do. So we would get into fights, drink a lot, you know, kind of like a what you'd see in movies with the jock thing, but not so exaggerated, but definitely binge partied a lot. And it just, there's something inside of me telling me like, I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting my life, my potential. And so it just falling, trying to fall into the male role was something else that was eating at me. You know, oh, this is how a man looks. This is how he acts. He doesn't cry. He's tough. He looks a certain way. And so all of that, just from all these different angles, made me very insecure and very fearful fearful of being seen for who I really was and not not being accepted in the current paradigm that I was living. 
Yeah, that we do tend in Western civilization to put men into this certain box and how we're supposed to act, how we're not supposed to cry. How we're not even supposed to ask for help and we're supposed to figure out everything on our own because that's what a man does. Take the bull by the right. horns. Yeah, and that, that was something that, you know, especially I played football. So it was, it was an exaggerated mentality there. It was very much break your finger, well, roll over and, and shake it off type of thing and so it was very much like I played my entire senior season with a torn shoulder and I didn't say anything because that's how I'd been taught and then I it wound up getting so bad that I had surgery afterwards and it's never been the same over 12 years later so yeah that was that was that was definitely one of the things that was kind of weighing on me and, and creating that suffocation amplified yeah just rub some dirt on it and it'll be okay yeah exactly so you moved to China what was the first thing you really noticed when you got there the China trip was fascinating because while it was very vastly different, it was also very similar. I was a kid that I, when I grew up, I believed in magic. I believed anything was possible. I loved kind of anything mystical, magical, and different. And so I had seen all of these Eastern films of martial artists who could do all these superpowers. I grew up as a Dragon Ball Z fan as a kid. And so when I got there, you know, there was this hope that those things would at least be there in some form. When I got there, I realized I was still me, still the person that I was when I left. I was no longer caged by my surroundings, quote unquote, but I was still the same. I still brought all my baggage with me along there. And they were all people, you know, they all breathed air, ate food and did their thing on a daily basis. So that was kind of what my expectation was and what I experienced were two totally different things. That was a really huge lesson in recognizing that there's a book called Wherever You Go, There You Are. And it's such a profound title because it's basically it taught me and it tells me that you can't run from yourself if that's what you're doing. And that's what I was doing in a sense. There was definitely a part of it was running from society, but there was a part of it running from myself because I wanted to be something other than what I was. And that was the first stark look in the mirror at that, like, hey, this, while your surrounding plays a role, so do you. That was a really big lesson, the first one when I got there. That is a very big one because a lot of times we try to look on the outside to make the changes in our life. In fact, there's multiple billion dollar industries in the Western in the Western world that's pretty much based on you searching on the outside so you can obtain some sort of joy. Exactly. I mean, it's even it's even in the pursuit of happiness. What does that tell us that we need to go pursue it outside of ourselves somewhere out there? And so that creates its own thought process, its own programming, especially. And that's one of the things that I was trying to run from is just the material nature of so many people around me. It's not that I wasn't, but it was just exaggerated and dramatized. It's definitely and it was inside of me. You know, it was absolutely inside of me. I just took a different approach to it. Very similar thing, though. So what you're saying is baked into our constitution. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. From the day that we're born, we begin to be programmed by those that are caring for us. And it's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just the way things are. We learn their language, we learn the culture, we learn the society, the education system, the politics, so on and so forth. And then as we grow up, we see it from peers, from teachers. And then we begin to form our own beliefs, our own mode of operation and our own way of living. And in that, we kind of choose what path we want to walk, what box we want to fill what how we are going to walk our lives but unfortunately a lot of people start then to experience stress anxiety depression sadness because we don't fit into that box because it isn't necessarily us parts of it maybe and that's fantastic but we're not taught to pick up what you like and, and leave what you don't 
most of the time. It's what is elementary school? It gets you ready for middle school, ready for high school, ready for college, ready for a career, ready for retirement, family, white picket fence. Like there's a perception of what a successful life looks like. And in that successful life, you achieve the pursuit of happiness. And that's just a belief. That's just a way of life that works for some people. But more and more I'm seeing, especially with myself, with my clients, that a lot of people don't fit into that anymore. And so they feel almost rejected by the current paradigm because they don't fit into it. It's in our entire way of life, not just the Constitution. So what happened after you went to China? It was the beginning of a long, long quest. I learned about this concept called enlightenment along the way in the spiritual world, this kind of legend of a, a higher state of being. And so that kind of became my pursuit. I, so I stayed in China for about four months. Then I went and I came back to the States and I moved into an ashram, which is a yogic monastery in a sense. So monks and yogis were living there and they practiced hours of meditation every day, service, contemplation. So I spent the next six months there. And that was profound. It would absolutely taught me to look within, to not try to run away from parts of myself that I didn't like, but to sit with them and to shine a spotlight on them and not to judge them, but to just be with them. I started to experience some really powerful things and powerful connections, stuff I'd only read about before, whether it be in books or scripture, so on and so forth, spiritual experiences. And those two put together kind of changed my trajectory in life. Beforehand, I had been coaching high school football and then just working and going to community college. And afterwards, I wound up going and getting a religious studies degree from the University of Michigan, which also led me to Indonesia, led me to Ghana. And so I, it led me around the world. But it was interesting because I had realized at that point that it's not about where you are. It's about, you know, are you present? Are you connected? Are you working on yourself? Because wherever you go, there you are. So I was, I was starting to do these things, not from a place of I need to, but a place of I get to. A great opportunity, fun new experience. And so that, that transformed everything. And fortunately, I had the China experience to teach me that. And then after that, it just came back to the States, met my partner, Melanie McDaniel. She came to the health world, the holistic health world in a different way. She had a very traumatic past. She had PTSD. I was the seeker, even though I was running some, from some stuff. And I was essentially running to an answer, hopefully. And she was the healer. She, you know, she came through healing. And so we came together and I started teaching meditation and I got back into sports performance coaching. She started supporting people with PTSD and severe trauma. And so we, we came together not too long after we formed our company. And so that initial China experience was the beginning of my internal journey, the beginning of working on myself, the beginning of not running from my problems. Even if I travel, it's like they're going to come with me. So if I choose to travel, if I choose to have these experiences, doing it from a different place, even up to the point in the story that I ended on with us founding consciously, there was still something missing. There was still something that I felt like I was still chasing. I was, I needed something else to be whole and complete. I needed something outside of myself still. And so it wasn't until about a year and a half ago, a year, year and a half ago, that I had what some might call a, a really big epiphany, what others might call an awakening. But it came to me in this just really profound experience and moment, I guess, succession of moments, which is essentially was all of these experiences that I've had, all of this stuff, I was rejecting myself for who I was. And I had this subconscious belief that I needed to be something else, that I will be enough when, that I will be whole when I've achieved X, Y, or Z. 
I saw this mimicked in so many people that we were working with. When I've made enough money, when I've got my perfect career, when I have the perfect relationship, when I've reached enlightenment, when I've suffered enough, when I've paid my dues, and we all have our wins in different areas of life. And then once we've achieved that, then we'll be enough. Then I will be whole. Then I will be fulfilled. Then I will be complete. Then I will be successful. And what we're all saying and what I was saying is when I get there, essentially rejecting here saying that here is not enough, so I need to be somewhere else. And so I was rejecting myself for who I was in that moment completely, not just, oh, it's easy to accept the good parts and the brilliant side, but the darkness and the foolish side, the blooper reel, stuff I don't want people to see, it's harder to accept. And so I was rejecting myself as a whole. And same with my present moment. I wanted it to look something some other way. There was this incongruence. There was this resistance to my life and to my to who I was still going on, even if I even after all this work I had done, even helping others through their own stuff. And so when that finally came in and I finally recognized I was living in a state of resistance to life. I was living in a state of resistance to every single thing. And most of it was subconscious because I wanted it to, I was either grasping onto something I didn't want to change or I was trying to do my best to change it. And when I had that realization, everything shifted and I learned to kind of start to be in harmony with life, to accept who I am right now fully, to not need to look a certain way anymore, to not need to have a certain amount of money in my bank account in order to feel successful, to not need to have the accolades or the numbers behind my name and all that stuff. If I choose to do those things, great. I don't need them. And that's a part of that programming. That's a part of this pursuit of happiness that had that was still there. I learned finally how to stop resisting my existence. And it was a long road to get there. And there's still parts of it that aren't fully in acceptance. It's been a really profound last 10 years in coming to accept myself for who I am right now. Wow, sounds like you got over spiritual bypassing. Because a lot of times I've noticed people try to go into a spiritual route to get out of the rat race, but then they turn their spiritual route into a different version of that rat race. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's definitely something. I think spiritual bypassing holds that perspective as well as I'm doing all the right things in my spiritual work. I'm meditating. I'm sitting in positivity. I'm sitting in the light. So I don't need to venture into the shadow. I don't need to venture into the darkness. I don't need to do my the harder work, the muck work, cleaning out of the ship, so to say, which I had been doing. I quickly realized that it could, could easily not do the work you need to. In that sense, I had been doing that work from early on. What I realized was if I believe that that work has to be done in order for me to be at peace with who I am, that's just another way of saying I'm not, I will be enough when. And so, yeah, there's parts of it that I, you, we're just exchanging one circle, one turning, running in circles for another. And yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I see a lot of people in the spiritual communities that are, it's the same mentality. It's just a different, they're in a different game, different box now. So what was it like having that epiphany? Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. It was as if I saw myself completely for the first time without judgment. It was the first time I'd ever really just been okay with Harry and all the parts that I hadn't been okay with in the past and weight had been lifted. I, I tend to hold resistance, physical resistance in my in my sacrum area and my lower spine. And I just saw that dissipate a lot, even though it comes back because there's a tendency there. I, I recognize it so much quicker. It was profound. It was amazing. It was wonderful. And what's even more wonderful is that I don't live in a constant state of acceptance right now. But in the practice of it, I recognize that even when there is resistance, 
can I be accepting of that? Or am I going to start to reject that as well, creating another level of resistance? And so even when there is resistance, can I just be fully accepting of Harry, who he is in every single moment? And it's been liberating. It's been absolutely liberating. And it completely changed how I perceive a lot of things in the world and how I work with people now too. One thing that I found interesting of what you just talked about was not always being in self-acceptance. I remember when I first started my spiritual path around 15 years ago, I thought there'd be a point in time where I had everything figured out and then I'd be in this enlightened perfection type BS, really. And just the that, I, that ideal is just another way to keep us from being ourselves. Yeah, and I think there's also a misinterpretation of it. I think for me, enlightenment isn't about being in this perfect human form. It's finding perfection and imperfection. It's can I be perfectly or can I step into peace with my imperfection? And in that, if my perception changes of what perfect is, if me just being myself and flowing with life and being in the in the Tao or in the great flow, the great perfection, however one might call it, that completely changes a definition of perfection. And so it's not about reaching some perfect state. It's about being at peace with the state that is and recognizing the perfection that exists in that right now. So how has this actually changed the way you work with people? We teach meditation, nutrition, emotional release, a couple of kind of homeopathic remedies, and then life coaching. And so a lot of those in the yin-yang of life, the B, if we look at the yin and the yang as the B and the do, a lot of those are do. Hey, we recognize that there's this pattern of suffering for a lot of people, a pattern of feeling like they're not enough for a lot of people, a pattern of wanting things to be different so that they can finally reach their there. And so a lot of those are designed to help people get, quote unquote, there. Okay, I need to lower my stress and anxiety. Great, meditation is awesome for that. Hey, I need to sleep better and my and lower my cholesterol. Great, nutrition is powerful for that. I want to release emotions so that I, I don't have all this emotional baggage. Great, emotional release is, is fantastic for that. Hey, I want to set goals and I want to achieve this really great life dream, life mission. Cool, life coaching is great for that. But what it can do, if done in an imbalanced way without the B, is that it can just, like we said earlier, it can just create, well, you'll be enough when you've done all of the stuff in the life coaching, the meditation, the nutrition, the emotional release. So it just creates another, I'll be enough when, which I hadn't seen. It's just like, okay, let's implement these things and let's make changes. And in changes, we start to release these certain things. And as we start to release these certain things, life gets more peaceful. And that's true. And I'm not saying let go of the do. It's still a part of the the equation. And all those things that we do are powerful. And there's been fantastic results. However, now what I do, I start with saying, look, we're going to do all these things. But I want you to recognize that if we operate from the belief that you need these things to feel whole inside, we are shooting ourselves in the foot. We are not operating in a way that is going to find you congruence in life. Because when you get there, wherever you're there is, most people who reach the high levels of success in whatever area of life they're aiming for it, say something's still missing. And that's because they're still rejecting themselves for there. They're st- they realize it was never about that in the first place. So I immediately start off with a 90-minute conversation of bringing people into how we are programmed to reject ourselves. And so we immediately start with the acceptance of self, acceptance of who we are. Even though we're going to work to change some things, that's okay. 
but can I be accepting of who I am along the way as I'm changing certain circumstances? Because, hey, we have to pay the bills and, you know, there's certain dues in life that don't fall away, but there's a balance to be had and most people are wildly imbalanced, especially in the coaching world. They're so do, 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 do to be able to change things that they're rejecting themselves as they are. So it's, they're just perpetuating their own cycle. So what's your favorite thing about running your company? Favorite thing is that it's my life that I live regardless. And so it's an extension of my passion and my way of life. I'd be having these similar conversations, at least with certain people anyway. So it's just, it's the, it allows me to go even deeper with people and to help people make shifts, shifts that have transformed my life, that have transformed Melanie's life. And, and to really, you know, make a difference if we can, but be a support system even more so and, and hopefully have a little bit of a ripple effect. But it's a passion and it's, you know, I don't consider it work. Work, my definition for work is when I'd rather be doing something else and I wouldn't rather be doing something else. I very much enjoy what I do every day, every moment, whether it's being on a podcast like this or it's working one-on-one -on -one with a client or working with a group of people and meditation or at a seminar. It's, it's really, really powerful for myself and hopefully for those that I work with. Ah, uh, you enjoy being on my podcast. I'm honored. Ah, <laughs> indeed. So I'm curious, do you have any fun success stories to, talk, to share with us of people you work with? Absolutely. And all sorts of different ways too. For me, the really fun ones are just the little epiphanies along the way, because those are the ones who, that seem to really last a long time. So when people take the micro steps, it turns into a really big shift. And so, and we've had a lot of those, you know, just with, with some people in a three month program with the meditation program, there's, we had one, one guy who had done a lot of different meditation programs, had tried a lot of the apps, done the YouTube channels, and he'd had a, a couple of really profound experiences during the meditation program. And afterwards, he just came to me and he wrote a testimonial on this as well. But he just said, you know, I was actually really skeptical at first because nothing had really worked, but your approach is different. And I actually was able to really connect and, and to create a, a habit around this. So I'm going to be using this going forward. So it wasn't just a three month thing. It was the building block for a lifestyle. And I love hearing that because that's why we call ourselves holistic life coaches. It's not about just the time that we work together. It's about the entire journey for the rest of your life. You're learning something that you can take with you moving forward. So something like that's really fun. We had someone else come in and she had macular degeneration and was over a little bit overweight. And so we were able to get her down to her, the weight that she wanted. She was feeling really healthy. Her macular degeneration went away, all the swelling in her eye and her blood vessels went away. And that was that, you know, that's always a really fun one because that's a little bit easier to see. It's not quite as subjective. It's something that, that can be measured medically and so on and so forth. And, you know, there's been large, big transformations. There's been small ones and everything in between. And helping people having seeing the epiphanies though that's my favorite part just watching people just go bing yeah just like oh my gosh i've never looked at it that way and you can just tell that just that little mindset shift is going to have a huge ripple effect in their life that is really awesome yeah thank you we are getting towards the end of our time together. And one thing I like to ask my guests <laughs> ask, ask is to do a one minute of motivation. You can imagine this as if you have a time machine and you travel back to your eight-year-old self and you have to convey what you need to know at eight, but you only have a minute to do so. Or you can think of it as condensing your entire life's message into a minute. So are you ready? I hope so. <laughs> you are the one that you've been waiting for. Everything in life that we search for 
is a sense of wholeness and completeness, a sense of connection with our surroundings and with ourself. And if we keep looking for it in some other place, we never understand that it lies right within us. And so as you're walking through life and as you're tumbling and falling and standing back up and running and flying and doing everything in between, recognize that it's you that you have always wanted to find. It's it's being at home in yourself. It's acceptance of yourself. And just sit with, what if I am exactly what I was searching for? What if inside me lies all the answers of life? And live with that, sit with that, be with that, and it will change your life. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. I really enjoyed your story on how Western civilization kind of put you into a box that you did not feel comfortable with and that you did something to change it. You went out to travel, which expanded your worldview as well as made you realize that it's an internal struggle that we need to deal with because we always take ourselves with us, thus creating a situation where you're able to expand your inner world to a point of reaching a point where you're able to serve people from an authentic loving place so thank you so much for your story and your service to humanity and good luck in everything that you do i appreciate that and that was a very good summation of everything we talked about so well done thanks have a great day you too and there you have it folks that is my interview with harry sherwood yeah that interview really made me think mostly about the idea of Thinking that you should be somewhere else is rejecting who you are now. It's the the Buddhist idea of letting go all desires. And the ironic part about letting go all your desires is that you don't stop moving forward. You just let go of the idea of who you are at the time you are now and the belief that what you desire will bring happiness. Because one thing I like that Byron Katie talked about is that Suffering is believing that the world is different than it is now. Anytime you believe that, anytime you think about that, you suffer. And so fully accepting yourself as you are now and embracing it and then constantly moving forward because honestly, if you're not growing, you're dying. You want to move forward. That's just part of the human condition and it's part of what makes your soul happy is moving forward and becoming a better person. And it's not to reject who you are now but to accept that there's always room to become the old buddhist saying always being always becoming and so what harry talked about was the embodiment of always being always becoming because you are great just the way you are if you accept yourself just the way you are and not great in the sense where everything in your life is perfect but if you accept where you are now instead of looking towards the future for you to be happy when to be happy when to be happy when but to be happy now and not make the pursuit of happiness your goal but your way of being because a happy and whole person reads books that improves themselves a happy and whole person works on relationships that aren't working like they want to now a happy and whole person continually improves this idea that once you reach a point of happiness that you will just sit on a beach and drink Mai Tais all day that is fine for a little while but for the average human being you need purpose if you look because most people are stuck on the first five Maslow's hierarchy of needs because that is what we're taught in school those first five ones food shelter water and mating 
I don't remember food, shelter, water, mating. Is it only four? I'm missing one. Whatever. You don't need to know. But basically what you need to survive right now or to make your life now. But once you have those, there are more needs that you need to be human. And one of those is a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning. People go insane in their job. I mean, this, in my humble opinion, a lot of alcoholism for people who are beyond who are living within their means meaning they have food they have shelter they have a job that gives them money because this is one thing i truly believe is that money doesn't buy you happiness it buys you relief and it's a subtle difference it's very subtle the difference being is happiness is something that is beyond relief. It's like if you had a nail in your foot and someone pulled the nail out of your foot. Happiness isn't the nail being pulled out of your foot. Happiness is your foot healing and being able to run again and playing basketball or whatever you like to do that's physical. That's happiness. That's happiness. Relief is just pulling that nail out. And after a while, you don't even think about that nail because that nail isn't part of your pain. It doesn't really matter. Once you reach a certain point of money, it doesn't really matter unless you make the pursuit of money your goal, which of course is the ultimate evil. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money is the root of all evil. When you make money for money's sake, for status, that's when you start doing bad things to people. But those people are only doing that because they miss their sense of purpose. That is an important part of being human, is recognizing and living your purpose, living your being. I think I talked about that in one of my interviews this morning. I did. Fun. All these interviews I've had today just mesh together. All my, my Joyous Expansion podcast, my, Joyous, my Church of Awesome podcast I recorded this morning. Everything just meshed together in this awesome tapestry of sweetness and everything just, oh man, it was super fun today. Today was fun. I did two interviews, both of them kind of pretty much intertwined. And then I my Church of Awesome podcast that intertwined. And then this editing this podcast that I've been remembering thinking about because we well, talked about intertwined and everything was just in this beautiful tapestry. So basically what I'm saying is this. Realize where, sit with that. Sit with who you are. Listen to what he said at the end during his minute of motivation and sit with that. Ask yourself, be with that. Be with the idea that you are enough. And as you are enough, you will not stop. This idea that you will stop once you reach a point of joy does not understand the fundamental need of human beings. You will always want to move forward because that is something we need. We need to move forward. We need purpose. I don't know how real this statistic is, but after somebody retires, especially a man, he dies within two years of his retirement on average. I don't know if that's real, but the idea behind people mentioning that statistic is once somebody loses their purpose, they lose their will to live and then they end up dying. People, especially people who just worked all their lives. And once they get to the point where they don't see a purpose, their body goes because they just don't see a reason to live. Purpose is important. And you'll always have it. Even if you reach the pinnacle of what you think a life is, you will continually want to move forward. And if you do not, you will do something. That's when you will start binging Netflix or doing drugs. Especially if you're rich, you'll start being able to do the cocaine and the expensive drugs. That's when you'll, maybe your drug will become money. You'll get gold fever. Like on Scrooge McDuck, the first episode of DuckTales way back when. I mean, we have a lot of rich people now who have gold fever who are not, who are making their pursuit of money 
living their empty lives, not feeling the true joy of what it means to live. You might say this sounds like a broke person sounding bitter, but honestly, think about it. Money for the sake of money is no reason to live. We get happiness by the memories we make with the people we care about. All studies point to this. Yes, once you reach a certain threshold of money, the happiness actually kind of just goes up just a little bit because you're able to afford better, you know, more and more fun things to do with your family. But once you get to the point where money isn't a pain, it doesn't bring you more joy that much. Just kind of just levels off and goes up by a little bit. So remember your purpose, live your purpose, and recognize now that you are a special person. And if you want to work with Harry Sherwood so you can unleash your specialness into this world, visit consciously.org today. And if you're drawn to any of the programs or coaching sessions, you'll receive a 25% discount if you tell them you heard Harry on the Joyous Expansion Podcast. How cool is that? Make sure to take an extra close look at the emotional release sessions as they are designed to rid us of those sticky emotional baggage that holds so many of us back in life. And that, my friends, is the Angel 33rd episode of the Joyous Expansion Podcast, all about friendships and relationships and all that fun jazz. If you like it, like and subscribe to whatever podcast thing you're listening to. If you want to listen to more, I'm on Stitcher, Apple, whatever it's called, podcasts, whatever it's called now. I'm on Google. I'm on a few others. If you don't see me, send me an email at bre2ts, dupr2es at joyousexpansion.com and I'll work on getting my podcast on there. Plus, if you have any questions or just want to talk to me or you just want to say, hey, I'm also on Facebook at Increase Your Joy. We put after Facebook. On Instagram and Twitter, I'm better at my marketing messages. Both of those are Joyous Expansion. And you can also check out pod.joyousexpansion.com, and that is the official website for this podcast. You can also check out joyousexpansion.com because I have a fun little gift just for you because I love you, my eight keys. No, that's a different one. I'm breaking your, yeah, I'm breaking yourself from the prison of fear. One thing that I am good at is breaking myself through that prison. So thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I 100% appreciate who you are. Once again, I am Brett Dupree, the champion of authentic joy, joyous expansion, life coach, catalyst of transformation, grand poobacle, leader of the church of awesome. Once again, wishing you to be love, to be joy, to be awesome. Now, play my jingle. Joyousexpansion.com JoyousExpansion.com Come and say hello to Brett Dupree He is an inspirational life coach Good for you and good for me He turned my life from grey to blue I'm sure he'll do the same for you Get in touch and you'll see Your life will change dramatically JoyousExpansion.com JoyousExpansion.com